Man, we're so blessed around here. I'll tell you, thank God for Pastor Adam doing the baptizing our youth pastor, for Pastor David and Teresa Hewitt across the hall. A lot of times we just trust that you recognize and know that we have a great children's ministry around here, great children's pastor, uh, youth pastor, and just elders. We're just so blessed. We really are so blessed. So much uh, goes on to, uh, to continue the ministry here that we know is Grace Point. And uh, today I want to uh, begin a series. I'm going to do at least three uh, messages uh, about marriage. Now, if you're single here, don't turn me off and go, well, that don't apply to me. I wish I'd stayed home today because I promise you, you'll get something out of it. Uh, and it's going to apply to your life, the principles that I share. It's been a while since I've talked about marriage, kind of working with the culture that we have uh, in America, February is kind of the love month and so forth. It's Black History Month as well. And a lot of things are, are you know, in our culture are, are honorable uh, this month. So, but we're, we're just going to focus on that. we got our marriage conference coming up. we got uh, 40 people that will be at that. Glory to God. We're excited about that. And Pastor L.A. coming and, and uh, some of our pastors out of our uh, Kingdom Change Network, our network of churches. There's just a lot goes on more than just what, you know, you see or don't see on uh, Sunday morning. And I also realize that every time I take this pulpit or whoever is preaching from this pulpit is speaking to a much, much larger audience. You know, if all of our church, really, this is serious, I'm serious about this, if everybody really, this part of this house comes all on one Sunday, we wouldn't, have no, we wouldn't have enough chairs, you know. So I'm not encouraging you to stay home every now and then, but that goes on without my encouragement. But... uh uh, I have a lot of people say, well, I'll catch it on the podcast. It's going to rain today. You know, uh, don't do that. Come and be. It's nothing like being here, uh, being in the house of the Lord. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, uh, is we just going to use this from our launching point. And I'm not going to really unpack this verse today, but I will in, in this series. And uh, so don't get, don't get afraid. Uh, the only verse that's probably hated in the Bible more than the verse on tithing is the verse on wives submit yourself to your husbands. I've never yet met a man who don't, if a man don't even know any Bible, he knows that verse. If a man's never read the Bible, he knows there's somewhere in that Bible a woman says she's supposed to submit to me. Well, actually the Bible says that men and women, husbands and wives, are to submit to one another. And... Uh, so we're going to talk about some good stuff, but today I, got, I was telling my wife yesterday, I said, I, you know, I got to speak what I feel God's spirit on, what God's life on. So I just want to launch from this. You know, somebody said, well, I thought you were a grace preacher, man. What are you talking about marriage for? Because, man, grace of God is everything in all of our lives, in every situation. And here he addresses husbands. Now, up in the, the previous verses, he addresses wives, but we'll talk about that later. But let's just read this verse, 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them in under, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together. That's the main uh, thought. That's my title for the series, heirs together. Together is a key word of the grace of life. So I'm still a grace preacher, okay? So grace is involved in every relationship and, of course, the marriage relationship. And then he goes on to say that your prayers may not be hindered. And so we'll talk about and unpack that verse. But what I want to do is something I've never done. But I just kept feeling like talking about the woman at the well out of John 4, but from the perspective of relationship and marriage. And uh, in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, 
it says, but he needed, talking about Jesus, to go through Samaria. And he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And um, then verse 7 says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now the verse previous to that says it was noon. It was the sixth hour. Then the sixth hour in the Jewish uh, reckoning of time means 12 noon. And so she's out there at 12 noon. And let me just say this, and I don't mean this arrogantly. I, too, used to preach this woman wrongly. I, 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 I don't know that I've ever heard hardly any preacher of any persuasion ever get this story right about this woman. And I, I don't know how we miss it so desperately bad. Most all of you who have ever heard John 4 preached have heard this woman called a uh, promiscuous woman. Some have gone so far to call her a harlot, a, a very sexually promiscuous woman, uh, and all those type of terms. How many have heard her portrayed or preached in that light? Just hold your hand up so I know I ain't lying. Look here. Hold the, everybody. Okay? That's not true. That's absolutely not true. Number one, we know it's not true because the Bible doesn't say that she's that. But so I want us to, 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 to as I talk about this story, I want us to keep in mind, first off, the Jewish culture. Now, women were like chattel. I didn't say cattle. Chattel. You understand what that word means? It means that women were owned. I mean, they, they literally were owned. I've even heard preachers acknowledge that and yet turn around and accuse this woman of divorcing her husbands. Because you know the story. Most of you, how many of you are familiar a little bit, at least a little bit, with the story of this woman? That Jesus comes to this well. It's at 12 noon. Women did not go to any well at any time by themselves. They traveled in groups for safety. Okay? Women didn't have any rights. Women couldn't report that she had been raped or she had been beaten or she had been abused. I mean, it was just, it was just that society. Now, when Jesus came, Jesus had women in his ministry. Jesus carried women with him. Jesus brought women up to equality in his ministry, which was totally strange. A Jewish husband would not normally talk to his Jewish wife out in public. They just didn't. Now, this woman's a Samaritan woman. And I love that verse where he said that he needed to go through Samaria. The Jews did not travel. There were three routes that they could take to get to Jerusalem without going through Samaria, and the Jews took that long way around because they despised and hated the Samaritans because the Samaritans were half Jews and then they were mixed race, in other words, and their religion was not the same. Uh, their, their, their place of worship was Mount, uh, 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 a different mount than Mount Jerusalem. It wasn't at, at, at Israel. And, and they, they chose a whole different view of religion than the Jewish people did. And for that, the Jews despised and hated them as a mixed race, a mixed culture, a mixed uh, religion. And they wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. And the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the, and the Samaritans returned the favor. They hated the Jews. And so that's why this woman is so blown away that this Jewish man named Jesus is talking to her. And so I, I want us to, to look at this story in the light of, and in the context, listen, of not only the culture, but also of marriage. Because Jesus brings up the word husband. Now, after he talked to her a little bit, she says, I want some of that water you're talking about. Give me that water. And something that's always troubled me a little bit, it seemed like Jesus just come out of the nowhere with this, like, go call your husband. We hadn't even talked about husbands or anything. He said, go call your husband. So Jesus brought up husbands. 
So you can't, you can't have a husband unless you have a wife. If you don't have a wife, you're not a husband. If you don't have a husband, you're not a wife. Do you understand? So he said, go call your husband and, and, and get him to come. She said, I have no husband. And, of course, he said, rightly you've said you've had no husband. He said, for you've had five husbands. Now, this is where the church really goes, the tires come off the road. They said, he said, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with now is not yours. She said, I perceive you to be a prophet. <laughs> really, you think so? Yeah, I think you're a prophet. And uh, so she tries to change the subject and get in an argument with him over about where to go to church. You ever seen people do that with you? So she starts talking about Mount Gazebo or wherever where, where their religious center is. And she said, you Jews, you Jews, you Jews. You ever had somebody call you, you something? You white people, you black people, you poor people, you, you Grace Point people, you whatever people. You ever had people do that to you? You, and then they fill in the blank. Well, she said, you Jews, y'all worship in Jerusalem. Now, we, Samaritans, we worship over here at Mount Gazebo where Jacob's well was. Jesus said, woman, the time is coming and now is that you'll worship those that worship God for real, worship him in spirit and in truth. And he said, it's not about a place, it's about a person. It's not about a place, it's about a person. That, that doesn't make the place not important, but the place has got to be presenting the person, and that person is Jesus. And he said, if you knew who was talking to you, if you knew, if you just knew, you'd ask of me and I'd give you a drink. You'd never thirst again. She said, I want some of that kind of water right there. See, let's just, let's just pray. I, I, I don't want to go much further. That's a pretty good introduction, right? You're interested in that, right? You gotta be. I mean, who cares who wins the Super Bowl? What? <laughs> Sorry. Father, we love you. Help us, Holy Spirit, today that our minds be open, our hearts be illuminated by the revelation of your word. Let marriages, lives, people be transformed by your power, by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. BC, thank you so much. You're y'all so blessed to stand like that, and I, and, I, and I do appreciate that. All right, let's get into it. Amen. Um, the, the reason I said the culture is important, and I want to get this one out of the way. This woman could not be an adulterous woman because in the culture of this story, and this is not a parable, right? This is a real woman at a real well talking to to Jesus. Now Jesus is weary from his journey. He's sitting at the well. He's thirsty. He's, it, it, we don't have time to open up the human, the human aspect of our, of our Messiah. But um, nonetheless, he's wearied from his journey. He's tired. Uh, Jesus is sitting on the well. His disciples have gone in town to get a burger and come back, bring some food back. And so he looks at this Samaritan woman and he says, uh, give me a drink. And the uh, first thing she does is try to be little bit antagonistic with him and says, you know, what are you doing, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan woman? Because Jews don't talk to Samaritan women. And so she was shocked by that, and she was probably a little bit put off by that uh, because all he's wanting is, and again, she feels that she's being used by a man, and she says, you know, uh, what are you even doing talking to me? Yeah, you just want to drink a water. If it wasn't, you wanted to drink, you wouldn't even be talking to me, you know, that, that kind of thing. But in the culture, if, when, if women or men were caught in adultery, what happened to them? 
What about the woman in John 8? Remember they throw her at the feet of Jesus and they said we should do what with her? Because she was caught in the act of adultery. So we should stone her. So they didn't have repeat offenders. They, the, the, the sentence for adulterers in the New Testament culture was uh, you know, execution. There's no way that she got away with it five times. You understand? Second thing is women were not uh, allowed any legal aspect in this culture is a woman could not divorce a man for any reason. So even though she's, listen, even though she's been married five times, she had nothing to do with those divorces as far as her choosing it. So a woman, it's not, don't think about 2018. It's not like that they, she can't, she can't divorce a man for any reason. Now let me tell you something that she did and could do in that Jewish culture is she could say yes to a proposal and she could say no to a proposal. So what this woman did do is she said yes to men to be married to them five times. This is so unusual for, in that culture for somebody to be, had been married five times. It just didn't happen. Her name's not Elizabeth Taylor, okay? <clears throat> Come on, if you, you ain't old enough, don't even worry about it. <laughs> they, it just didn't happen. But yet, this woman's been married five times. So listen, what I want you to understand about this woman is don't call her a harlot or an adulterer because the Bible never calls her that. So she, what I want you to understand is she's been divorced five times. Now, I know a lot of you have heard me talk about this before, and you already kind of know like what the punchline, but I'm not talking about that today. But I just want you to understand that this is not some harlot that we're talking about. This is a woman that is desirable, at least, to five men. They have all proposed to her. She has said yes five times. She has been married five times. Now, for whatever the reason is now, Jesus said, the man that you're living with now, the man is not your husband. Now, let me tell you what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say the man that you're sleeping with and having sex with. That's what your American mind jumped to. Y'all don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. The Bible never says that. It didn't say she was sleeping with the guy. He just said that you're living with a person that's not your husband. Now, that doesn't mean you can carry it to wherever you want to. All I'm saying, let's just stay with the book. The Bible doesn't say that. It says, you, you know, you don't have. Now, let me tell you another thing that women didn't have in that day. They didn't have uh, any kind of care provided by the government. Number one, the Jews are under Roman domination. Rome is ruling. There is no welfare system. There is no food stamps. There is no, uh, there, there is no provision for her to be sustained or cared for. And a husband or someone, some man, is very, very important to her, to her being able to exist and to live. And uh, so we, we don't know exactly what the living arrangements were. But the first thing that I want you to know is that Jesus loves this woman. And the Bible said he needed to go through Samaria because he, he had a destiny and he knew by the spirit that he was to meet this woman at the well. You ever felt like you're just supposed to go somewhere and you, really did, you just knew God was leading you to be somewhere at a certain time? I mean, I've had that not, not often, but I've had that happen. And there's, don't miss those divine encounters, you know. Um, and, and so Jesus seeks this woman out, even though she's despised by the Jews, she's loved by God. And, and then Jesus made this statement that so paramounts the story to me. He said, if you knew, if you knew. Now, most people just don't know how to be a husband or a wife. They just don't know. Most people, most of us have had wrong patterns before us about what it means to be a husband and what it means to be a wife. And a lot of us have, have invested zero time or effort or training 
in what it means to be a husband or a wife. And you can be married, but that don't mean you have a godly marriage. Right? Now remember what Jesus did when he was on the cross? <clears throat> the Bible said he forgave those on the cross. Uh, and, he, and this is what he said. He said, for you know not what you do. Uh, and, and so this is, this is the point. Thank you, darling. See how prophetic she is? She knows when her husband needs a, needs a drink of water. Um, by the way, this year, in a few months, we'll be, have married, we'll be married 38 uh, years. And uh, <clears throat> at least for that reason, you ought to pay a little attention to me if I'm going to talk about marriage. At least I know how to hang in there. I mean, and she does too. Uh, but uh, Jesus forgave those who had him put him on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. And this is what he said, for they do not know what they do. Most people don't know what they're doing when it comes to relationships. They don't know what it, they're doing when it comes to marriage. Now, listen, nobody wants their marriage to fail. Nobody. Nobody is getting married either at the courthouse or in front of a church or people or whatever. Nobody is getting married saying, man, I hope my marriage fails. Man, I hope I get divorced pretty soon. Nobody's doing that. And everyone getting married wants to succeed, and nobody getting married is planning on ever divorcing one another. But it happens, and, and it happens. And God wants you to succeed. And I want to tell you something. If you've been married several times or whatever, I mean, God's not angry with you, and maybe even in this series, I hope to deal with divorce and remarriage because the church has done a horrible, horrible number on divorced people, horrible number. It's, they cause so much damage with that and talking about you living in sin all kind of crazy mess uh, that the church has come up with and it's really hurt a lot of people and it, there is no such thing as a second class Christian in the kingdom of God there, there's, there's no such thing there's nobody that can live in a perpetual state of sin I mean, Jesus took all the sin of the world to the cross and paid for it so uh, there's just been a lot of damage done by the church and that's not my message today but hopefully we can talk about it at, at least a little bit Get this, marriage was created by who? By God. And it started in the garden with Adam and Eve. Listen, and marriage is only successful when it includes his plan and his presence in that marriage. Now listen to me. Remember in the garden, it was not just Adam and Eve. It was not just Adam and Eve in the garden. It was Adam and Eve and God in the garden. And if you leave the God factor out of your marriage, you're going to have a really hard time enjoying marriage. Now, we, we've, what we've done in our society, in our culture, in America particularly, we've just turned marriage into an illegal or a social experience. But marriage, listen to me, is inherently spiritual. Marriage is spiritual. I remember I heard somebody, you know, some long time ago, this, this, this man was contemplating going to see, we'll just say, a pastor about, you know, his marriage, marriage counseling from his pastor. And he told his buddy this. He said, I'm th you know, I'm thinking about going to see pastor you know, and getting marriage counseling. And the guy said, what? Why would, why would you want to go see your pastor? You don't have a religious problem. He said, you got a marriage problem. You, you see the thinking in that? Uh, you know, marriage is a spiritual covenant. Marriage is a spiritual bond. The Bible says it like this, what God has joined together. You're talking about marriage. Right before that, he says that you're no longer two, but you're one, one flesh. Do you understand, dear lady, and please don't get mad at me, okay? I've just got to tell you the truth. Even though you carried the child nine months, and it, when it came from your flesh, 
But you, you, you're not one with your children, n nor will you ever be. You can feel extremely close. But the only, listen, the only possibility of a relationship on earth where two people can be one is a husband and a wife in covenant with one another and before God. Only. And if you ever get that out of order, you're going to have marriage problems. Okay? So I, I, I want you to understand this, that, that marriage is, a, is spiritual. Now, so what God has joined together, let no man separate. So, what, so what's, the, uh, what's happened in America in marriages? Well, I mean, all you got to do is look around. And the church, I'm telling you, the church is none better. There are some statistics that say the church is actually worse in divorce rate than even in the world now. Uh, one reason it is is because, and I, and I do believe that to be true, is because that less and less of the world are, are even getting married. Listen, in 1930, uh, in America, 83% of all adults in this nation were married. 83%. Today, less than 49% of adults in America are married. That means we have more non-married adults in America than we do married adults. Why is that? Because marriage is not something that people aspire to do anymore. They just, they, they don't desire it. Uh, you know, marriage has become this big mock or big fair. Why would you want to get married? Just live together, just shack, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so a lot of people don't even, even entertain the idea of getting married. It's not something that look, look to, like, I want to get married. I want to be married. I want to be in covenant with this man or this woman. It's just not, that's just, that, that, that culture is, is uh, rapidly going away. In John chapter 4, verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come to, to draw. And so Jesus introduces marriage by saying, go call your husband. Now, why would he say that? Go call your husband and come here. I'm going to address that in a moment. Now, the woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, well, you've well said. He said, you've had five. The one that you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. In other words, Jesus is really bragging on her. He's not being mean here. He's actually saying, you know, you, you're a rare commodity. You're telling the truth. I mean, you're, you're being honest with me. So Jesus said, give me water. Uh, I mean, G this woman said, uh, give me water. And Jesus replied, go call your husband. Now, why? Because she had been drinking, listen, from the wrong well. Do you see the analogy? Jesus, she says, I want that water that you have so that I won't thirst anymore. Jesus says, go call your husband. Because that's what you've been looking to. To slate your thirst. You thought you had to have a man to slate your thirst. So go call your husband. Because that's what, up to this point, you have put all your hopes in a man to make you happy. Now, how many ever heard this lie? And I'll go ahead and say it's a lie up front. You complete me. What a lie. Now, please don't get mad. And I may hit a couple things that you say to one another and don't think I'm saying you're demonic or either stupid. I'm not. Meet my better half. That's not true either. If I'm only half and Jill's my other half, and I know what you mean by that, and you could probably say that and understand what you mean and it'd be okay. Okay, so don't, you know, don't drop the rock, so don't stone me. But marriage is not for a half person and, another, and looking for somebody else to fill in the other half for them. Marriage is only for two whole people. 
who have been made whole by Jesus, who love him and one another, and when two whole people come together, then you can have a successful marriage the way God intended to be married. Sometimes I, I, over the, I've been marriage counseling now for a long time. I've been pastoring for over 25 years. I've been preaching for over 30 years. I've talked to a lot of married people, okay? And, uh, I mean, I've even, I mean, I, my staff will know this. In my early days here, I had one of the first things, right when I, I mean, my first week I'm having doing marriage counseling. And this couple doesn't come here, they moved that way, they don't even live here, so don't even try to figure out who it is, okay? It won't do you any good. But, man, they got so loud with one another, I thought they were going to tie up and fight. I literally, I felt that fear because I'm going to have to get in here and try to physically tear them apart because they feel to jump on each other. Really, in all my marriage, I never had a couple get to that level. They just wanted to kill each other. I mean, they were just, they were yelling. And, and it, it, I mean, all my staff could hear it. I mean, it was loud. And, and so anyway, it ended like that. I'm like, they just walked out and I thought, I'll never see them again. That's the end of that, you know. Now, I had placed some materials. That was not our first session, by the way. So I had placed some materials in their hand, actually a, a book that we give them. And, and, uh, and then I also had given them a teaching series that I had done many years earlier on intimacy and, and marriage. And uh, lo and behold, I look on my calendar, and uh, I have an appointment with them coming up in the next, you know, in the next few days. Just several weeks had gone by. Actually, they had already moved away from one another. The wife had moved out, and... They weren't even living in the same place. And, you know, they, they were serious about not liking one another at all. And um, these are believers. And so here they come, you know, for their next session. And I, I watched them, you know, I was looking out the window, and they got out, and they held hands. Walked to the, to the church in my office. And they came in holding hands. And before, they had sat on the opposite side. as far One got one against one wall, and one got against the other wall and hollered at each other in my presence. I could feel my pulse going up, my face getting flushed, you know, and they, my good God. And now they've walked in, and they both sat on my couch uh, together, side by side, with holding hands. <laughs> I'm like, I ain't the sharpest tool, but, like, what happened? And I'm just telling you, I don't care how bad it looks to you. I don't care. If you'll just trust God, God can, God can melt those hearts. And, uh, you know, and I know you're looking for the big, you know, that made it. With them, they said that they just, you know, they just give it another go. And actually, they said they sat down and listened to those CDs. And they said that they, I would bring it up. And that was, that those CDs really are for adults only. I'm, I'm serious. And uh, I didn't teach it here, but I taught it where I pastored. But it's really an adult teaching for adults only. And I, uh, but I would deal with certain things. But that was a lot of their things that they were having problems with. And I, I, didn't, I didn't even remember all what I taught on there. I'd probably taught it 10 years prior to giving it to them. Uh, but I knew it had to be good if I taught it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on now. It's a poor rooster that won't even crow in his own backyard. Come on. And I, uh, they said they just listened, and they would pause when something came up to the point of contention or questions or whatever, and then they would, they would do it. And the Lord helped them. And they're still married today, and as far as I know, you know, uh, doing, doing well. So it doesn't matter how you think it looks, how hard it may appear to you. You know, and people say, well, we, we just, you know, the reason a lot of marriages break and, and, and fracture and end up in divorce is because people marry for the wrong reasons. They marry for the wrong reasons. They say, you know, and so, you know, why did you get married? If you got married so that your spouse will make you happy, you, you set yourself up for failure. 
If you got married for the spouse to be the totality of all. See, listen, I'm, I, you know, you can't put God kind of pressure on your spouse. Now, when, when, when couples are in stress, I always tell them in my office to put pressure on the covenant, which is God. Don't put pressure on one another because you can't hold up on that kind of pressure. Sometimes you're trying to get from a spouse what only God can provide for you. You got married for the wrong reason. I want them to meet my needs. I, I, you know, I want this to happen. I want this to You know, I mean, you, 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 they don't know what they're doing. I remember I was talking to one young man years ago. He told me, I can't wait to get married, uh, Pastor Dale. He said, that way I can have sex all I want to, anytime I want to. I'm talking about, whoa, man, I can tell you ain't been married. You don't even know what you're talking about. I just let him find that out on his own. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he was just wide-eyed, you know. He's like, I'm going to have sex every day, you know. <laughs> yeah. Come back in about six months. We'll see how that worked out for you. They know not what they're doing. They enter into marriage. I got, you know, I got married, you know, so we can just share our life together. Well, that sounds good. It, it works good on the Hallmark card. But what if you, you know, listen, you listen to this principle. You, you can stay married as long as the reason you got married is greater than the stress you're now going through in your marriage. Now, that's a good one. So you you will be successful and you can stay in covenant with one another as long as the reason you got married is greater than the stress you're presently under in your marriage. So, in other words, if you say, well, I got married so we can just share life together. Well, what happens if you wake up one morning and you wake up next to the devil or his ex-wife? Come on, don't get What I'm trying to say is the stress factor now is the person you're in covenant with. And so the, the, the natural tendency is to get rid of them. I talked to a man one time. He, was, he had been divorced several times. He was on his third or fourth marriage. And, and, and he was talking about his last marriage that had ended. He said, bless her heart. He said this. He said, bless her heart. She really tried to meet my needs. She just wasn't capable. So what he did was he was constantly marching down the aisle or standing there watching his next wife march down the aisle. And every one of those wives, he expected to meet the needs in his life, which only God could do. And they all failed at that. And he, was th he thought the problem is not me. It's, 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 uh, it's the wife. And so he would get him another one. You know, that, that, that trail never ends. You've got, you got, you got to understand that. And so one, one thing that we see from this, this woman is that for some reason, this woman kept saying yes to these men. And so when you get married, the reason has got to be that, you, yeah, you love the person, but you're in covenant with God, and God is the factor in your marriage that makes the difference. Talking about a love triangle, it's, it's the woman and, and the man leaning on one another, and the base of that marriage is God. And, and God can take all the pressure you can put on him. Your spouse can't, but God can. And, and so in Genesis 2 and 18, it says God had made all everything, and everything he said he had made was good. And then it says this statement in Genesis 2, 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be, should be alone, and I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, don't get insulted, ladies, by the word helper, because the word helper is not a 
derogatory term. In fact, God is referred to as the helper. So what I want you to see something in this verse that maybe you've never seen. First off, Adam was not lonely. There are people that teach that, that Adam was, you know. Now, this is prior to sin. To think that Adam is sitting there, you know, brokenhearted, you know, and he's lonely is to say that God made him flaw. I mean, you know, it's just ridiculous. It, it, God didn't say he was lonely. He said it's not good that man should be alone. Why wasn't it good for man to be alone? Because God had just told him to be fruitful and multiply. You can't do that by yourself. Okay? You, you, and so that, that, you know, he couldn't fulfill his destiny without some help. And so what this little short statement here, uh, this statement is the story of the human race told in three parts. Number one, you need help. Number two, God has provided himself as that help, helper, and others, your spouse and others. And number three, sadly, man usually rejects God's help that he sends. That's been the pattern all the way up to this present moment. So you were born, listen to me, you were born with needs that you cannot meet. Needs, th th these are the primary needs of every human on this planet, married or not, this is their needs. Number one, four, four basic needs for every human. Love, acceptance, identity, and purpose. Love, acceptance, identity, and purpose. These God-given needs uh, that we were hardwired with were meant to lead you back to God who's the only one that can actually meet those needs. You agree with that? So, so God says it's not good for you to be alone, and Hollywood says that's right, so you need to hook up with somebody. You need to find you a Jerry Maguire. You need to find you a Mr. Right or Miss Right. You, you just, you, you know, you, you need to hook up. Um, th that's not the message that the Bible says. Now, number two, when God says it's not good for him to be alone and you need a helper, then God says, I'm your helper. Now, in verse 18, God says you need a helper, and then God starts to help him. The next verse says this, he brings all the animals and the birds to Adam for naming. Now, listen to me. Listen, don't miss this. What, what do you think was harder? Gathering up all the birds and the animals or naming them? Okay? Do you see my point? God does the hard part. Adam does the easy part. God rounds up all the animals and brings them to Adam. Adam, all he has to do is name them. Okay? Now, Adam gave some real brilliant names, but as the, as the naming went along, he got tired and just started saying, Bluebird, Blackbird, Redbird. You know, he was doing good there for a while. He was like platypus. Whew, that was, you know, platypus, rhinoceros. But then he's like, I'm tired, blackbird, redbird, bluebird, you know. But the point is, it's harder to gather them all up and bring them to Adam than it is to name them. God always does the heavy lifting in your marriage. You do the easy part, God does the hard part. And, and so you're saying, wait a minute now, preacher, are you, are you saying that God was Adam's helper? I thought Eve was his helper. Eve was always part of God's plan for Adam, but, but God's plan is to be a co-laborer with you and your spouse in your marriage, not to be left out of the marriage. And so listen to this. Listen to this fact. The word for helper in the Bible is a Hebrew word, and it's, it's spelled E-Z-E-R, but it's actually pronounced Azar, A-Z-E-R. That's how it's pronounced, but Azar. And so listen to me, every single time, except for that one time, tw listen, 21 times in the Bible that word appears, every single time it's referring to God. Every single time. Here's an example, Psalm 121 and 1 and 2. It says, I will lift mine eyes to the mountains where, it does, uh, where my help comes from, for my help 
is the Lord. There's that same word right there. So everybody in this place needs those primary two things, love and acceptance. Now listen, what can separate us from the love of God? Romans says nothing. Romans says nothing can separate you from the love of God. Listen, God loves you and me like no one else ever loves you. Can you receive that? I mean, he will never leave you, he said. He will never forsake you. God's not like people. Most people, listen, listen to this statement. Most people love you, love me and you. Most people love us based on what they don't know. If people knew everything that you've ever done in secret, if they knew your deepest, darkest thoughts, I promise you it would shorten your list of people who say they love you. My, y'all quiet in here. See, they love us based on what they don't know. Because what do we try to do in the public? Put your best foot forward. Put our best face forward. You know, what do you do? You know, you take 47 pictures and then post the one that's the best that you edited on Facebook. And then you try to mislead us that that was spontaneous. What a joke. Took you 47 times to get that right. There's nothing evil necessarily in that. But that's not really who we really are. You know, our number one need is love and acceptance. Well, what's our number one fear? Everybody in here. Rejection. Our number one fear is rejection. Listen, that's why the Bible says his perfect love does what? Cast out fear. It casts out fear. What fear is being cast out with perfect love? Rejection. God said, I'll never reject you. On your worst day, when you've done your most diabolical thing, I will never reject you. I will always be there for you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you by yourself. I will always hear your prayers. I will always be there for you. I will always love you. I will always care for you. That's, that's our God. He's not like us. People, people will turn on you. That's the hardest thing. For me, that, I'm just telling you, y'all, okay, y'all counsel me now. But the hardest thing for me to keep doing what I'm doing, I love to preach the gospel. I'm called to preach the gospel. But dealing with flaky people, love you one day, hate you the next. Oh, you're the greatest preacher I've ever heard. I mean, I've grown more under you in, in these past years than I have in 30 years of preaching. And then turn around and look, where they at? They're gone. So I believe in grace. I love the grace message. It touches my heart. And then where are you at? You're back over there where they're preaching law and condemnation and telling you that you're not forgiven unless you forgive somebody else. And it's like my kryptonite, man. I'm like, what? I mean, people are schizo. Glad God's not like that. You know, one of the most wonderful things about identity, I always love that little verse in Revelation 2 and 17 where it says, God says, if you'll, over, if you'll just be an overcomer, and the way you overcome is through the overcomer, which is him. The one thing God promises every believer, listen to this. He said, I'm going to give you a white stone with your name, your real name written on it. And he said, and, and only you that receive it have it. It's special. Now, my name is Jerry Dale Young, and there's my mom and dad, and they named me that, <clears throat> you know. But most people I've ever met don't really like their name. My mom has a middle name. If you can coerce her to tell it to you, then that'll be your business. But she's never, I know, just grew up saying that, I mean, she didn't like people calling her by her middle name. 
or joining her first name with her middle name. And she just didn't like, you know, and she would say that. And she, you know, and then I would notice people would call my dad, you know, his, his name is Paul Glendale Young, Glendale Young. That's where the Dale part comes from, from my name. And then I, the people that knew my dad the longest would say, hi, Glendale or Glenn. His, grand, his daddy was named Glenn Young. So that's where that name comes from. And so, but so then later on, he, you know, he, he, you know, for most of his life, he's gone by Paul. But I would see some of his old people, that, you know, friends that he grew up with, and they'd say, hey, Glendale or hey, Glenn. My mom calls him Glenn a lot of time, most of the time. At the house, she calls, you know, she's, over the years, she's called him a few other things, too, besides that a couple times. <laughs> what I'm saying is, listen to me. Most people that I've met, though, really, I don't know why we're like that as humans. We, a lot of us don't like our names that's on our birth certificate. That we don't like our names, how, you know, and that just don't sound good to us. And if we could change it, we would probably have changed our name. Now, maybe you're here and you just love your name. You'll be the exception, though, not the rule. But the whole reason I'm saying all that to you, listen, God knows what your real name is. The saddest thing about missing heaven and not being with God is you'll never know who you, re who you really were, your, what your identity was. God, God's called you. You're, you're not some blob. You're, God, God's given you your name. Psalm 139, he says, all, you know, all your days were written in my book before every one of them came into existence. You're fearfully, wonderfully, all those wonderful things. God's the one that's done that. And, and, and so he says that, that, you know, I'm the one that has given you your identity. Your identity's in me. Well, if, if you don't have God meeting those needs in your life, guess what you're going to do? You're going to try to get those needs met. And if you're married, you're going to try to get your spouse to meet those needs. Now, in John chapter 4, verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Now, this is what religion always does. Religion always either puts God out in the future, and one day it's going to be wonderful, or it puts it in the past. Oh, you should have been here yesterday. You know, you missed it. But for the present, it doesn't offer you very much at all. It's just like hang on to the rapture, or you should have lived in Jesus' day. It was powerful. But right now, it's just, you know, not very much. No, no, that's what religion does. That's not what Jesus does. God says, I am the I am. God will ne the Bible will never let you call God I was. Or God, I will be someday. God is the I am God. He is a present help in time of trouble. Come on now. So the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. That is as clear as it gets in the Bible where Jesus just clearly said, I am he. I'm, I am the Messiah. And so the woman then in verse 28, it says, the woman left her water pot. Now, why do we need that in the Bible? You've got to ask yourself. The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Christ? Now, Jesus, not only he heals, but he feels. And listen to me, the Holy Spirit, who inspired the writing of the Bible, every word, the Holy Spirit, for some reason, wanted you to see that imagery that this woman who come to this well to retrieve water now has received water and has left her water pot and has run back into the city and has become the first evangelist 
to begin to herald the message, come and see this man. And, it, and, and the Greek is a little bit, uh, the English translation of the Greek here is a little bit hard to really get the, the essence of it. Come see the man that told me everything that I'd ever done. So what she's literally saying in the Greek, come see the man who knows everything about me, and yet he still loves me. There's not anything that this man don't know about me. But yet this man, knowing everything that I've ever done, this man still loves me. This has got to be the Messiah. Ain't nobody ever loved me like that. Ain't nobody ever cared for me like that. Nobody has ever showed that kind of affirmation and affection and love to somebody like me. She came at 12 noon because she didn't want to be around other people. She didn't want to be under the scrutiny or the glares of that. And really, she had lost any sense of security because women traveled in, in groups so that it'd be safe. But she just says, you know, you know, I'm going by myself at 12 noon. All the other women had came in the early part of the day was the culture to draw the water for the day. She waits and comes by herself there. And so now uh, this man, Jesus, is there talking to her. He lets her know, I know everything about you. And I love you. The whole reason that I came this way was because of you. I remember I was preaching a revival in Nichols, Georgia, many years ago. Little bitty church. I went there all about every year when I was an evangelist, and I saw tremendous things happen out of that. But I wanted to tell you one. And so it was, this church probably only had 40 people, maybe 50 on a good Sunday. And so I was there, and we would have less at, at sometimes at night. Sometimes it'd be 30 people there I'm preaching to every night. We'd Back when you had long week revivals, you remember those, you know? And I remember I was there preaching and, and, uh, and so it had a center aisle like this and sitting about almost to the back, not quite on the back pew. They had pews, but probably about the second or third pew from the very back sitting on the end was a young man sitting there by himself. Um, you know, he, he, and, you know he, he stood out to me uh, for some, you know, just, you know, just not because of appearance, but just that he was sitting by himself and just sitting there, and he looked to be in his early 20s. And I remember as I was preaching, I was probably in the middle of my sermon, and so he just pushed up from the pew and, and got up and started. And when, in that church, when you open those back doors, the double doors, you're outside. There's a little, little stoop, they call it or whatever, but you're outside. And I remember, and, you know, and, and, and there are gifts of the Spirit. God helps us in spite of ourselves. And, uh, you know, but so he, he, he just turns and, and goes out. Now, not that I had said anything that I knew. There's sometimes I say something and people leave and I know, well, that offended them. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I can come. And then there's times that people leave because I just got to go to the bathroom. I had nothing to do what I said. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm, you know, but, but this guy just was leaving. And it was like one of those things I had already said it before I even realized I said it. I said, sir, stop and come here. <laughs> I mean, and when I said that, it was like I already said it, like the words where I saw the words, you know, shoot like an arrow out of my mouth. And it's like, I said, sir, stop and come here. So he, I mean, he was already hit his back to me. So he stopped and turned and looked. And he stood there for a moment like he was like contemplating, not obeying, you know, whatever. Can't make people do anything. But he said, uh, he just stood there for a moment. It seemed like a lot longer than it was. And I remember thinking like, why do I want him to come up here? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't want him to come up here. But I always can tell people, the Lord loves you, let me pray for you. You know, that's kind of you go to, you know. So he, he, he just stood there for a moment, looked at me, real stern. And, he, and, and, he, and, he, and he, so he walked down front. 
And, uh, so, he's, and so when he's coming, I, I've, God's put me in these positions before. He gives you one word, you do that, when you get another one. So he's, he's coming out inside. I'm praying like crazy. I'm like, God, please give me the word of, you know, what's, you know why, why does you want me to pray for this guy? And so he comes and stands before me, and he's just real stern looking. Like he's, he's just got a mean scrowl on his face. He's just real like that and just looking and staring at me. And so I just, you know, he, he looked so mean, and you know, I didn't even want to ask him nothing. So I just laid my hands on him and said, Lord, bless this man. You know, we love, you know, I know you love this man. I just started praying that prayer. You ever prayed and it felt like it just run down your chin and down your neck and down to the floor? It didn't get no higher than that. I mean, we know the Lord hears our prayer, but that was the sense I had. That we just really wasn't breaking through here. And I, so I give it my best, you know, my shot there. I mean, I prayed, you know, 30 seconds, a minute or two, you know. And there was no kind of release or no kind of, you know, and I could tell people it was in the congregation was like, oh, he was doing so good. He shouldn't have quit preaching. He should have let that guy go. Oh, this is dead. It's 3 o'clock in the morning here, I mean. And I remember, and, and so I just, and I could tell, we, you know, it's hard. It, we're not getting through here at all. And so I just stopped what Dale was doing and just, you know, and I've, I, I was lear- I'm still learning. I'm still learning. But I just, in my heart, I said, Lord, what is it? I had, Lord, what is it? I remember when this church, when I gave the testimony of a woman being healed with bones and ligaments and joints and a lady with her walker in Enigma, Georgia was instantly healed at a Holiness Baptist Church. I remember when I gave that testimony here that a lady came right down front with a walker. And, and when I was young in ministry, I would have jumped on that and started praying for her hip joints and knees and all because that was the testimony. But I've learned, and I'm still learning, but I learned to ask the Lord, don't try to go by what you know up here. This is spiritual. And so when that lady stood right here in front of me in this church, Pastor Johanna knows I'm, well, everything, she, I mean, a lot of you know, but I know she knows, she's my, my administrator. I never met the woman, but I just said in my heart, Lord, what is it? What is it, Lord? And I heard one word, abdomen. This is called a word of knowledge, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A word of knowledge. I, there was something that God let me know that I would have no way of knowing. So the, the Lord, so I stood down before the woman, surrounded by a lot of people. Billy Ray was a lot of people. And I said, ma'am, I don't believe. Now, see, I'm still humble, though. I'm not cocksure. I'm not like, bless God, you know, no. Because I'm just, I'm depending on the Spirit. And I said, ma'am, I don't believe you're standing here because of your hips or your knees. But, I, but, but the Lord tells me, I believe I heard the Lord say abdomen. Now, at that point, Johanna, my country, she had her forehead on her walker. And I didn't know why she did that, but she felt so horribly bad, and she was running a high fever. Is that right? And so we found all this out later. And so when I said, I don't believe you're here for that, but you're here, the Lord says it's in your abdomen, whatever your problem is. And she raised up and looked at me, and all she did was a fr- nodded. And then as soon as she did that, I heard the Lord say, colon. And I said, in fact, it's in your colon. And then she really nodded. And I said, ladies, lay your hand on her abdomen. And I put my hand, because I don't touch women in places like that. You know, so I put my hand on those women's hands, and I said, I rebuke whatever's in this colon. I command it to die and go in the name of Jesus. I command the healing of Jesus in her body. Not knowing any, what, what her problem was. They had no, no, didn't know. Goes on and prays for everybody else. Am I telling the truth? Johanna come to me. Uh, wait so they know I ain't making you up. There she is. Everybody should know Johanna. She come to me after service. I'm new here. This was my first feast of time. Because she said, Pastor, come meet this. This one wants to meet you. She carried me back here about where our brother here is sitting. And she introduced me to her. She said, she's actually a member of this church. She's, and, and the woman looked at me and said, when I came in here, I had a high fever. That's why I had my head down. 
but I knew I had to be here tonight. And she said, when you laid your hands on me, she said, the fever left me. Is that what she said? Immediately the fever left. And then she says to me, she said, I have colon cancer. I have a tumor and all in my colon that's so large it can't operate. But then she says, but, but they're giving me treatment and radiation or whatever to try to shrink it to a small enough that they can safely go and, and do surgery and get it out. And so she said, the C word, cancer. Now, I didn't say, well, the Lord healed you because I've learned not to say that. Man, I felt every hair on my body just stand at attention, and, and I, I, God had, I mean, they got to be healed. And then I've seen where they didn't receive it. But it wasn't because God's presence wasn't there. You, you, don't, you don't earn anything with this. You, you just receive the free gift. By his stripes you were healed, not by your prayers, not by your righteousness, not by your do-goodness. You, you're only healed because of his stripes. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation, and there's nothing you can do to earn healing. And so, uh, but that woman uh, left out of here, and a few I don't know, a week or so later, I remember it was on a Friday because I was mowing yards. I did a lot in those days when I had 18 acres to mow where I used to live, and I was mowing yards, and my wife came out and got me and said, Pastor Hans on the phone, and I and, and, uh, want you to you know, take the phone. And I'm like, Friday, I'm supposed to be off. I mean, why are they calling me on Friday? You know? And anyway, it, the husband had called, right? If I, am I telling the story? Husband had called. He said they took her to the hospital to do the surgery. Her colon was pristine clean. There was no cancer in her colon. There was no tumor in her colon because Jesus is a healer. Amen? So I, I, I won't, I'm, I'm ending this message by encouraging you. I'm giving testimony. So I don't care what you're here with. Lord's a healer. Okay, back to the man. You thought I forgot. <laughs> but it works the same way. So come down. Don't, come here. Stop, sir. Come down front. He comes down. I pray nothing. I said, Lord, what is it? And I just waited. I'm like, oh, God, please say something. Because we're done here if you don't say nothing. Really, I'm dumb. I'm dumb as a brick unless the Holy Spirit helps me. I, I mean, I can, help, I can help you none unless the Holy Spirit helps me to help you. And I said, uh, what is it, Father? And the Lord, I heard the Lord say this to me. Tell him that you're the reason that I sent you to Nichols. Tell him that he's the reason that I sent you to Nichols, that I sent you to this revival solely for him. Now, you don't, I don't know that for, for that rocks your world. You know, but I didn't make it up. And I said, sir, look at me. He's still staring at me like he wants to whip me, you know. And I said, God told me to tell you that you're the reason that he sent me to Nichols to run revival. You, you're the whole reason for this revival. He sent me. Remember, he must needs go to Samaria. God will send you to, for one person. And I said, you're the reason. And when I said that, I feel the Lord now. <laughs> you feel that? That ain't air conditioning. Do you feel that? That's God's presence manifesting. You know what God's saying to you right now? He's saying, listen to him. He's telling you the truth. Feel that presence? <laughs> See, because I'm drinking again from that moment. Memories are meant to feed you, not to torment you. Your memories are meant to encourage you, not to bring you torment. And when I said, sir, you're the reason I'm here for revival, he broke. He just bent over, started shaking, crying. And he just cried for a while. I laid my hands on him again to pray. And, uh, and then he scared me. <laughs> and he scared me by yelling real loud. He threw both arms up. This guy had shown no emotion, but, you know, displeasure. He threw both arms in the uh, air and just started screaming, Jesus! And he actually startled me. Because he was so loud. 
you know, and I thought I was Pentecostal. I'm supposed to be used to all that, but I wasn't. And he, and he startled me, and he just did that for a little bit, and then he stopped me just to cry. And, and, he, and, and he said, Pastor can I, or Preacher, can I say something? And I said, sure. He said, when, when I got up, I'm telling you, I'm not making none of this up. He said, when I got to walk out, he said, I was walking out to kill myself. He said, I'm a cocaine addict. I'm a drug addict. He said, I ain't got nothing. I ain't got no money. I ain't got no place to live. He said, and I saw the lights on in this church. And he, he said, something just said for me to just go in there. And he said, that's why I come in and slip and sit on the back on the end. And he said, I was sitting there listening to you preach. He said, there seemed like a voice that just kept telling me, to, you need to get up and get out of here. You, don't even, you ain't even worthy to be in here with these people. You need to get out of here. And he said, that's when I stood up to get out of here. And he said, I meant that I was just going to be done with it tonight. And he said, you told me to stop, come down front. And he said, I couldn't believe you did that. See, it wasn't me doing that. It was God. God just used. And, and so he came down front. And when he, what, 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 what broke his heart? The love of God. God never dangles people over hell on a rotten stick to get them to come to him. He always loves them. He always reaches to them with his love. And can I tell you, the story don't end there. Can I tell you, that guy, that night when he was hollering Jesus, he was marvelously born again. And he, he never touched a drug from that moment forward. He didn't need any kind of anything else. The Lord just miraculously set this guy free. The pastor that I knew, young pastor, but I knew him well, had preached for him many years. The, me and the pastor would talk after I was over there. He, he said, that guy won't get off the property. He said, he just loves coming and hanging out on the property. He said, I don't even have a budget to hire a grounds guy, but he said, he's taking on the grounds of the church. He said, he'll be out there just raking the yards or mowing with tears and saying, telling pastor, he said, I just love being on the property. Please let me help do something at the church. I remember one year that, amen, that's, that's the Lord. And I remember uh, in this denomination I was in, they would have a yearly camp meeting. I think they probably still do. And I remember being at that yearly camp meeting. And I looked in the, you know, a lot of people, there'd be thousands, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. And I remember seeing that pastor come. And right on his arm was that guy. Here that guy was walking with me. He said, he's my, my right-hand man. He said, he, he does anything that I can do. And, and, and when the pastor was telling me that, and in his presence, he started crying. This young man started crying. And he looked at me and said, Brother Dale, he said, I just love being on the property. He said, the Lord's done so much for me. I just want to just try to, to do something for him. You know, he, that was his way of expressing his love for God and, and being delivered and set free. That's what Jesus does for people. That's what the gospel does for people. The gospel is, a, is what sets, it's the power of God to salvation. And so we're not preaching some kind of, you know, try harder, do better, turn over a new leaf kind of thing. We're, we're preaching the gospel, but Paul said, that's why I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God. And so it doesn't matter if it's colon cancer. It doesn't matter if, if it's drug addiction. It doesn't matter what it is. Jesus Christ, there's nothing that he can't deliver you from. There's nothing he can't forgive you of and has forgiven you of. There's nothing. Would you receive that this morning? Come on, stand to your feet and give the Lord praise if you receive it. Hallelujah. Come on, praise him real good. Thank him for what he delivered you from. Thank him that you're saved today and you've been set free by the blood of Jesus. Thank him for being so good to you. Lord, we praise you. We love you, Father. And we're so glad we're loved by you. Hallelujah. Come on, just give him some praise. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Amen. And God's good. He is so wonderful. I never get tired of giving testimonies.
Do you know what I just did? The Bible says in Revelation that the spirit of prophecy, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I want to tell you what I heard this morning during worship. <laughs> oh, Lord. Go ahead and release it, sister. Release the tongues. Release the tongues. For I would say unto you that Georgia is on my mind. Even as the song, the Lord says, Georgia on my mind. I would say unto you, even this house, this people, for you have been even as a Joseph unto me. You have been even as a Joseph unto me. And even though he has been despised and rejected by his brothers, yet I have given him a coat of many colors. And yea, I have given you a hammer of grace that shall destroy racism and division even among my churches and among my people. And I've called this house, and even as I've called Joseph, I've called and given you authority to speak. And I will say unto you that even the Pharaohs shall seek thee out, and they shall ask of thee, they shall ask of thee, what shall we do? And you shall answer them, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, come on, praise God. Praise him. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. Now, don't, don't think it's strange what, uh, what, what we're doing here. I, I realize you don't see this everywhere you go. This is a grace house, and we love the grace message, and this is part of grace, the gifts. Grace means charisma, the gifts. When it says, I've given gifts unto the church, he said, I've given grace to the church, grace gifts. I was trying to tell you what I was feeling boiling in me. While I was standing there this morning, I kept hearing this song. I don't even know the words to the song, but I know the title. I think that's probably the title. I don't know. God has different ways to deal with a, with a, with a, with a fellow like me. But I kept hearing Georgia on my mind. I've got Georgia on my mind. Does that mean he doesn't have Alabama on his mind? No, he's got every part. But, but, but this is where we're standing now. And God was just saying to me, I've I got Georgia on my mind, son. I got Georgia on my mind. Many are my thoughts towards you. Many are my thoughts towards you. I have Georgia on my mind. Do you realize that this, the, the history of Georgia in its founding as a colony was the place that they put poverty uh, people? Am I right on that? Teachers, am I right on that? That's what Georgia was. And the enemy would still try to exploit those roots. Not so. Because God's got Georgia on his mind. This is a time for Joseph to rise up. You heard the word of the Lord. This is a time for Joseph. What, who are the Josephs? And, it, and Joseph means the women. This is time for people like Joseph. Do you understand that Joseph was not a preacher? You understand that Joseph was not, you know, he, he was prophetic, but I mean, he, he, he wears no title. He, he, he's just a guy that God visited in, in a 17-year-old teenager with dreams. And now he's 30, and he thought those dreams were all long gone. But yet God has a plan for your life and mine. Grace Point, 
This is a house is a house that's been given a coat of many colors. We're to be a house, and we are a house of many colors, of many creeds, of many eth- ethnicity in this house. We're supposed to be that and proud of that. Proud of that. And I, I'm so, and I don't mean that in the sparing of any other church. And I'm not comparing myself. I just know that we're supposed to be a multiracial, multicultural church. We've always, that, that, is, that, that is the DNA of Grace Point Church. And, 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 and I don't say that, hear me, I don't say that despairingly of any other church. And I don't say that in a, in a source of pride or superiority over any other congregation in this city. I don't. God knows that I'm, I'm speaking the truth. I don't. But I know as for this, as for me and my house, this is what God has called us to be. And I would say this, it's unique. It's not everywhere you go. And I would say this, sadly, I've had people to come that I've invited of different colors, and when they see the mixture that we have, they don't come back. Most of them don't have the guts and I could have said something else to say that to my face, but they tell it to somebody who, t- you know, gets it back to me. Be it true or not, it doesn't matter. But I'm so thankful that even though this Samaritan woman was despised because of her race or her ethnicity, Jesus sought her out. She was valuable to him, and he went to that city for her. God sent me to Nichols for that young man who was bound by drugs Because God loved that young man. And God in his wisdom and knowledge knew that he would walk in that little old church in Nichols. If you don't know where Nichols is, it's halfway between Douglas, Georgia, if you're headed east to Alma. One traffic light. But yet there was one person there in that city who was so bound and so hurting. And I didn't know that even then God would do that. God said, I sent you for him. And I thought this morning... I, and I didn't come plan to tell that testimony. It's, it didn't even hit my mind until I'm standing before you. But as I talked about him going to that one woman at that well, he sent me to that one city for that one young man. That's got to give you insight into how great our Father is and how great his love is for you. So ministry team, quickly come. Elders, come help me. We just want to position ourselves to serve you. Man, you're God's kids, and you deserve the best. And it's our honor, privilege. I'm sincere with you to pray with you. You don't have to wait till another Sunday. I don't care if you're here with cancer. Cancer no longer makes me afraid because I've seen the power of Christ come over the power of cancer, and I've seen it over and over. I could give other testimonies. Even of last year, stage four cancer healed while we took, partook of communion one Sunday. Just totally healed, set free. Don't you be afraid of the word cancer. Don't you be afraid of anything because Jesus is greater than anything that would come against you. He loves you. And all you need to do today is just receive. Well, what if you need healing? He says, by by his stripes. It's not even by your petitioning, not by your crying, not by anything. It's just by him to put all your confidence in him. You need salvation today? Just in your heart. You don't have to do it like that guy did. But in your heart, just raise both your hands and put all your trust in Jesus. And that's what that young man was doing. He'd been so bound by that when he felt the freedom and the liberty of Jesus Christ setting him free. You know, as Demetrius sung this morning about those chains falling, I hear chains falling. 
you say, well, I thought the change of the change of the, 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 the authority for any change to be on anybody, spiritual change is gone. And I do hear change falling when you believe and trust in the message of the gospel. And at the moment you put your trust, any kind of chain you've ever had wrapped around you that an enemy's done, those chains will fall in that moment. Not because God didn't pay for it, but because in that moment you believed. And as soon as you believe, those chains fall. Those, those, those things fall off of your life. Come on, man. Oh, come on. Come on. That's the gospel. Oh, man. I... So I, I'm just saying for any reason that you would desire prayer, if there's anything we can pray with you about, it's our privilege to do so. I'm going to dismiss the church in a moment. but uh, And when I say that, church, that ain't like get out of here, you got to go eat chicken or something. But I'm, I'm always mindful of your time. But, man, I want to I, I see the, the, the gospel. The, to me, the, I've always been that old-fashioned preacher, preach to a point of decision. Preach and throw the net. Preach and throw the net. And let God deal with the harvest. Please don't walk out of here without, at least from where you're standing, reaching your heart up to believe in him, accept him, receive him, no matter for what it is. So, Father, I pray over these precious people. And I thank you that the testimonies I've given are true, and they are yes and amen. Just like all of the promises of God are yes and amen. None of your promises are ever no or not now. All of your promises are yes, and they're all amen. So for every promise in your word of deliverance, of freedom, of salvation, of healing, I say yes and amen. And may their heart just agree with that truth. And may they also with their heart say, yes, healing is for me. Yes and amen. Deliverance is for me. Yes and amen. That's all you got to do. Just believe it. Just believe it. And, Father, I pray they receive it right where they stand. I pray that if they desire prayer, you would impart to them a desire to come down front. Maybe we lay hands upon them. We believe in laying hands upon the sick and seeing them recover. We believe in laying hands for impartation. So we receive these, Lord, that you're bringing this morning for prayer petition in Jesus' name. If you want prayer, please come this way. If not, you want to be dismissed, you're free to do that. We do love you so much. Please come back. Please be part of the community groups that meet throughout the county and throughout the city. Please come this way and we, if we can pray with you. We're waiting to pray with you down front. God bless you.